Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home Internet. Cox is the real home Internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash Internet for details. As we enter October, we want to wish a happy Black History Month to all our Afro-Caribbean listeners. Also, as today Nigeria celebrates their 59th year of independence, we want to say a happy Independence Day to all our fellow Nigerian brothers and sisters. Hello listeners and welcome back to yet again another episode of the Beautiful Game Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Butch, and I'm joined by my faithful two co-conspirators, Dot and Dej. Gents, how are we doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. <laughs> <laughs> Dej yeah. doesn't want to start. Yeah. never wants to start, so yeah, I'm, I'm just going to keep silent. <laughs> you know them ones where you get stuck in routine, isn't yeah, it? But yeah, yeah, man, it's course. nice to break the routine. Absolutely. I'm doing very, very well, Butch. Mm-hmm. How are you doing? Very well, man. Very well. Looking forward to this episode. I know you yeah, are, man. I know you course, are, man. Yeah. In the group chats, you've been yeah, messaging a lot. This is it. <laughs> you've been waiting ready. for this one in anticipation. This is it. 100%. <laughs> what are you saying, Budge, man? How are you? I'm good. I'm good, man. I'm you good. haven't stopped smiling since you've been Of course. Of course. Because I know what, what we're about to do. You know? So, um, <laughs> yeah. This is so going to be a good happy. one. It is. It is. And that smile can turn into a frown. Very quick. How about you, anyway? I'm good, man. I'm good. You know, just getting through the week. Yeah, man. Just keep keep on grinding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair point, fair point. Okay, cool. So we are all very excited about the episode that we're about to have. Uh, mainly because we we are joined uh with a very um uh well esteemed guest. We're in good company. I'm always happy when I'm when, I, when I'm joined with an Ars- another sort of Arsenal fan, someone that I can share my sorrows with. I swear this is turning into the Arsenal podcast. <laughs> Definitely. So, so our special guest this evening is uh, currently a senior football writer at Football.London. Uh, prior to that, he was at the Evening Standard for four years, um, and prior to that, he was a trustee. In the European Youth Parliament. It's amazing. Mm. Judge, judge, yeah. judge, judging, judging by the current state of affairs in our government, maybe your 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 talents might be uh, well used and utilised elsewhere as well. See? <laughs> but without further ado, we welcome James Bench to the podcast. 
Wow. Welcome, welcome, welcome. That's welcome. a brilliant, uh, brilliant introduction. I'm amazed <laughs> you found that out about the European Youth Parliament. I used to be quite proud of that, but like when I did it, every, uh, this was sort of like 10 years ago, so everyone was like, you know, big mop of blonde hair. Oh, you look like <laughs> Boris Johnson. <laughs> and back then it was like, uh, yeah, that's, and now you're kind of like, if anyone said that to me now, I just have to deck them. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But I guess that's a, that's a discussion for another day, right? Yeah, different pod, that. <laughs> cool. Okay. Yeah, but um, James, you look like Boris Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, um, just to give you listeners a bit of a, um, an idea of what we're going to discuss today. So we're going to start off with um, a review of the Monday Night Football, of course, the game between United and Arsenal. We're going to talk a bit about the uh, Bernardo Silva tweet incident. Um, we're also going to have a roundup of the weekend's fixtures. Uh, as always, the prospects of the week, um, amongst a few other bits and bobs that we're going to be um, we're gonna we're gonna be covering as well as uh, listeners' questions. So we put out a tweet earlier today, right? Mm, go on, um, a lot of traction, a lot yeah, of questions. Yeah, of course. James is a popular man. Yeah, and we even within uh, you know like group chats and stuff, I mm. I, I, I sent a message and got loads and loads and loads of questions. Everyone mm. saying, make sure you ask him this question. Yeah. So so I think yeah, this is yeah, we'll be get one through that, as many as we can. Yeah, of course, yeah. of course. So I think yeah, it, it, this is definitely going to be one that uh, the listeners are going to enjoy, particular in. Particular, particular Arsenal fans. Anyway, <laughs> let's let's start off with the game yesterday. Um, it was dubbed El Sakiko, uh, given, <laughs> given the current uh, uh, turn of form of, of, of both teams, both United and Arsenal, um, and, and the fact that both managers are, you know, coming under a bit of scrutiny at the moment. Um, what are your thoughts on the game? What did you, in fact, what did you guys think before the game? What was the outcome that you guys thought? Did you, did you, I thought, did you, I thought really the game... I thought the game was probably going to be a draw. Mm-hmm. I think it was a game that both teams couldn't lose. Okay. That's the way I saw mm-hmm. it from, you know, with United getting drummed 2-0 by um, West Ham last week. Mm-hmm. And obviously Arsenal getting that, you know, slight victory against Aston Villa. Mm-hmm. And I think before the game, everyone was calling it a big game. Mm-hmm. But I think what we need to remember now is that these two teams are a shell of their former selves. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, boxers that have gone on too long. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, a, yeah, like a Nigel Ben yeah. against Chris Eubank fight now. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we need to remember that these two teams, yeah, yeah, they're, they're rubbish. They're rubbish right now. They're in a rebuilding yeah. phase. And mm. I think we saw that throughout the game. Mm-hmm. We have to be honest, the game was in treacherous conditions. <laughs> and a stat that made me raise my eyebrows, I think the first shot on target was in like the 27th minute. Mm. That's like the longest it's taken any team this season to have a shot on target. And mm-hmm. the quality was lacking. I mean, you've got a potent finisher on the pitch in Aubameyang. Mm-hmm. You've got a decent centre-back in Maguire. But the game was mainly made up of youth, mm-hmm. experienced players and players that passed it. And mm. the game wasn't quality from my point of view. Mm. Carragher was quite scathing in his analysis after the game as well. Didn't he say that, it, that the game looked like Two teams that were uh, in in a mid-table, basically. If that was a mid-table game, you would have said, "Wow, the quality was poor." And mm. when you, when you look at it, you feel Monday Night Football, Arsenal versus Man United. This is a big game. Mm-hmm. But then I thought about it and I was thinking, hold on, there's Champions League this week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's how irrelevant these clubs have become, mm. that they're having a Monday Night Football on the week of Champions League, and which yeah. is, to me, pretty embarrassing. But to, to speak about the game, just to, you know, butcher us on Deji's point, mm. 
tepid, tepid, poor quality, mm-hmm. um, no midfield control from either team. Mm. And I just feel that like these teams are so far away from being where they want to be that it can possibly take another five years before they catch up to Man City and Liverpool. Mm-hmm. And I just feel that the direction that both clubs are going in, it seems like they're, they're just getting further away, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess... So I, for one, never didn't really find it all that surprising because, you know, if you see every Arsenal game of the season, you're like, yeah, OK, this is this is exactly what I was expecting from, mm-hmm. Ars- from Arsenal. There's no midfield... Uh, the kids look quite decent and thank God they've got a Bamiang, otherwise they'd be in the relegation zone. <laughs> you <laughs> honestly believe that? <laughs> Mate, if you look at the numbers, yeah, like yeah. He's, he's won pretty much every point for them. I think mm-hmm. their expected points for the season is like eight points. Like They, they are like a, a relegation team without a Bamiang, mm-hmm. which, is, which is mad, but like, He's he's so good that he mm. you know if you put him in a half decent team he'd take them to the Champions League if mm. you put them in a really decent team he he'd win the title for them I yeah. think he's like at the moment for me he's like Van Persie when he went to Man United he's just phenomenal mm. and like Arsenal are incredibly lucky to have him I I mean I kind of when being there it was like I didn't really mind that it was wasn't very good football and I kind of felt like I was prepared for that from the off and I think mm. you know one of the things is you have your, your Carragers and others that maybe don't watch the game, or the Arsenal games, and the Man United games like week in, week out. They're like, God, I can't believe how far these teams have fallen. But I, I was just like, well, have you, not seen Arsenal mm. for a, mm. have you not seen Arsenal for the last decade? This is like, this is Arsenal. Mm. Yeah. And Man United just happened to have slipped to that level. Like, it was, in a way, it was quite fun. Like It was <laughs> pouring it down with rain. Yeah. A few yeah. seats behind me in the Old Trafford press box, the rain was coming into into the stadium. Like I, really, I had a great time. And I think the only thing I'd say that makes me like hopeful about the future of this game is like look at who the good players on the pitch were. You've got Bakayo Saka. Yeah, he put in a performance. Phenomenal. Led, mm. led the game in tackles mm. as well as putting in wow. an assist. Dan James was... Uh, it's the first time I've seen him in the flesh. Wow. I can't wait to see more of him. Um, Scott McTominay, who I just yeah. thought was a joke, apparently, but apparently he's a real footballer. <laughs> yeah, and like he's, he's really good. Yeah. He's, he's really growing good. into the shirt. Really good. Same with... Uh, and then you look at Arsenal. Uh, Joe Willock came on, played great. Reese Nelson. Gwendouzi. How can I forget Gwendouzi? What a performance. What a performance. I mean, this guy... I, I saw um, Get French Football News was saying... He could be the best prospect after Mbappe. I don't disagree Ooh. with that, man. He's phenomenal. He's he's plays like an Arsenal captain. He's he's got so much drive, so much energy, so much passion for the shirt. I think you can tell he grew up an Arsenal fan. Like so, it might be the worst game in the top six right now. But like in a few years' time, I think we could have some really good games between Arsenal and Man United. I hope they'll probably all be playing at Real Madrid by then. <laughs> <laughs> Have Dan James and Gwendouzi and Bakayo Saka up front for Real Madrid. Be quite good. What about Nicolas Pepe? How was his performance? Uh, dreadful. Mm. Like you don't want to get carried away with it because he's clearly a good player. Uh, and I mean, he's played quite like he played quite well against Tottenham. He played quite well against Virgil Van Dijk. Um, oh, you were saying this <laughs> off air, James. And, I mean, clutching that straws is that the line. Yeah. Clutching that straw. Well, the first player yeah. to dribble past Virgil Van Dijk. Exactly. Mate, what that's, happened after? Yeah. I think if you forward the clip 10 seconds it later. Like it was on the floor, barking and nobody fails. <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, you've got to celebrate cheap wins when you're an Arsenal fan nowadays. So <laughs> that's just the way the cookie crumbles. Seven games in. Uh, mm. Seven games into Thierry Henry's Arsenal career. He hadn't scored a goal. So, um,. I wouldn't be too worried just yet. He's mm. all right. He'll be 
But the worry for me is that, you know, with a new signing, mm. an attacker, he'll be like, if he keeps making those runs, he's going to get a goal. With Pepe, there's not really none of that. Mm. Free kicks, mm. apparently he's a good free kick taker. I remember one just going over the bar, passes were going astray, and he just looks like, you know what, he's stuck in a rut. And when is it going to end? I, I don't know. Part of me felt like it was so bad last night that it was like, you know, uh, maybe you play like, if you're playing golf or tennis and you like, every time you're hitting the ball, it's just going long and you can't control mm. it. And I just was like, has he just made me this game? Something's not quite right. You know, it's pouring rain. It's Manchester. It's mm. freezing cold. Like, is it, is it just the conditions and mm. he couldn't get his head around them and the league and all that? Because there's been like, there's been some really good moments. I thought he was great against Tottenham, but you're right. When you pay like 72 yeah. million pounds for a player. There's no, yeah, there's no real bed in imperial really, yeah. for, for that kind of feeding. Yeah, I, exactly. And like, he didn't get pre-season at all. Like they had, they kept mm. him out of international break, uh, out of the international break to try and give him from, a pre-season because oh, yeah, yeah. he, he played the Africa Cup yeah, of Nations. Yeah, exactly. Like he's he needs time, but but you know if you're Arsenal or any big club in like 2019, you don't get time. There's no yeah. time to to ease yourself in. I think bring Lacazette back in the team, and there's less pressure on him. Um, and I don't think it will be as bad as it was last night again. But it's really tough for him now because now that's what the conversation is. The conversation is, oh, is Pepe bad? Not. Pepe's building to something it's like mm. he now needs to prove he's not a bad player which is not where you want to be I think he'll get there uh, I think he's a really good player um, and a, a smart signing but I also think kind of yeah I don't think he'll get that time so how, how many goals running. this season do you think he'll get what's a realistic amount that Arsenal fans should be expecting from him from what you've seen because, because I um Previously, um, last week, I'm not sure if you heard it, James, I predicted Harry Wilson to probably score more goals from open play than, than Nicolas Pepe. And a lot of people laughed at it, but if you look at it, Harry Wilson has three goals this season. And Pepe has one, which is a penny. And it seems that Bournemouth are putting a lot of faith into Harry Wilson. It seems that Liverpool said that, look, we'll give you Harry Wilson, but this guy needs to play football. Yeah. And if he does play football, he's a goal for it. Yeah, I, I wouldn't actually shock me. I mean, you're right, Harry Wilson is such a good player. He's a sort of player that you kind of like, I wish Arsenal bought him. Mm-hmm. Um, but they probably would have had to pay £72 million for him as well. Like, I think Pepe will probably get to sort of double figures in all competitions eventually. And I think it's worth bearing in mind that, at least in this season, that's probably all Arsenal need from him. Because you've, yeah. yeah. you've got Aubameyang. The the issue for Arsenal last season was like Mkhitaryan. Welbeck was their top scorer until mid March. Was it their third top scorer until mid March, wow. and he broke his ankle in November. Yeah, yeah. Like, Mkhitaryan ended up the season as their third top scorer, and he was rubbish. <laughs> yeah, uh, and you know, I mean, it was a load of. It was like Aubameyang and Lacazette score all our goals, and we really asked Emery about this, and he was like, "Yeah, that's fine." You're like, "It's not fine. It's clearly not fine." Mm-hmm. If 90% of your goals are coming from two players who just happen to have not been injured all season. So, 10 goals from him, I think that, that would be fine for a first season. I mean, you know, you, you, you'll you know there's so many Arsenal players that did need their time. Robert Perez, Henri, even Bergkamp, like first season, took him a little while to get into the game. And I think second and third season, we'll see a really good Pepe. But it's, like, does he get it's, that patience? It's interesting because... It's kind of like these elite wingers in the Premier League have taken like these goal scoring heights to a new level. So mm. you kind of think like this is the norm when really like the numbers that 
let's say Mo Salah Mane. and Mane and Sterling are putting up. These are anomaly numbers. You don't get that from wide forward, really. So for Pepe to get probably 10 to 12 Premier League goals, that would be very good first yeah, season. Definitely. Mm. Definitely. Salah's ruined. Salah's ruined the Premier League because you just go, <laughs> oh, you know, we'll get some guy playing on the right wing and he'll score a goal a game. And people are like, where can we find the next Mo Salah? Uh, like Messi. But other than that, like, <laughs> it's, it's true. You're not, Wingers don't wingers aren't supposed to score that many goals. Yeah, you're absolutely spot on. Yeah, think, we just wanted to like take probably a deep dive into Arsenal because we've got a lot of Arsenal fan base listening. Mm. So, I mean, the buzzword is Unai Emery. I mean, when Arsenal fans talk about him, they think, "What's the end game with this man? This isn't a guy that's going to guide us to like trophies. Like, why don't we just probably get rid of him now? Mm. Then probably bring someone in that's going to win us trophies because Emery, the fans haven't taken mm. to him." They don't like his style of play. He says he wants to be a protagonist. He plays this, you know, football with the handbrake on. Hello. Um, yeah. <laughs> I recall um, Carragher saying that this is not football. This is like basketball mm. when it yeah. comes to Arsenal's mm. Emre. And what's your take on that? I mean, you've conceded the most shots on target and off target in the Premier League this season. Surely that must be a concern. That's a massive concern. I, and the, the, I think there's two ways of looking at Arsenal right now. So there's the short-term view and that, I think, is where you look at Emery and you go, like, is he doing, is he getting this this team better? I've got my doubts. I think he's kind of, he's for me, he's in the sort of benefit of the doubt stage where mm. the team did get more points last season, get close to a top four finish. They should have finished in the top four. and It's on him that they blew it. Mm. But I'll give him the benefit of the doubt and say that season he did, he did what the board expected, you know, Everyone at Arsenal knew that it would be a really, really big achievement to get back in the Champions League in that first season. And then it's kind of like this season, everyone's going, oh, sack Emery. And you look at the table, he's on target. He's, yeah, well, it's, it's this weird thing of sort of, do the ends justify the means? Because it's hell to watch. Mm. Yeah, but the thing is, the <clears throat> sample size. You're saying mm. sack him this season, but they're going off of 44 Premier League games mm. and they're mm. yet to be convinced. And at the end of the day... Yeah, you're saying that he's in the top four, which he is. And I give him credit for being in the top four. But he's in the top four because what's around him yeah. is pretty dreadful. That's the reason why he's in the top four. And the reason why Arsenal fans are so upset with Emre is that they feel that there's been no progression when it comes to this Arsenal team in the last year. But also adding to that, you know, they're missing players as well. Mm. You've got Kieran Tierney coming back. You've got Hector Bellerin coming back. And the way Emre wants to play, those two players will be key would, in implementing that system. Massive. I would I would agree with Dej if I saw a playing style. Mm. For example, a lot of Chelsea fans are saying we've got Callum Hudson-Odoi to come back to fitness. We've got Ruben Loftus-Cheek to come back to fitness. And with that, I can understand that point because you can clearly see a playing style. You can clearly see a methodology in their style of play. Mm. So once they implement better players into mm. that system, they're going to adhere to that system better and mm. execute that system better. Whereas when I watch Arsenal, the players seem confused. When I see you building up attacks, I'm kind of like, what's really going on here? I don't see passing mm. patterns. And usually the goals come from Aubameyang's brilliance. Yeah, I think in a way you're both right. There's no playing style, but then... I think we kind of underestimate how important having two good, really good mm-hmm. fullbacks is in the modern game. And mm-hmm. like, 
you know, I've not seen a huge amount of Tierney, but like the way Hector Bellerin was performing last season, he was he was after Bamiang, he was the most important player in the team mm. because he meant you could play that high energy pressing. And I think there are some ideas that you know, this Arsenal team, you can see that playing Terreira high up, that's Arsenal want to press high up. They want to win the ball high up. I don't think they really want to be a sort of slow, methodical possession mm-hmm. team. They're a team that are like, we're going to <clears throat> nick the ball off you high up the pitch and we're going to use our pacey attackers to, to beat you on the kind. They're basically, in pretty much every way on and off the pitch, they're trying to rip off Liverpool. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, I could go into that at great length. But, like, mm-hmm. I think my view on it is, I want to see how Emery gets on when he has that defence of Bellerin, Tierney, Holding, and then another centre-back. Mm. If things start working then, then you can kind of put a lot of the last year down to he didn't have any good full-backs mm. and he didn't have any good centre-backs. He didn't have a good defence. But like he's got a lot of convincing to do. Arsenal, have a, he's only got another few years, a few months on his contract and then mm. Arsenal have that get-out clause. Okay. So That's interesting, very interesting. It's it's tough. Do, do, do you know what, uh, James? I wanted to go back to a point that you raised earlier um, when you were talking about Emery being on the the side of uh, benefit of doubt mm. at, at present. Um, because one sort of interesting take um, from a lot of Arsenal fans is that it's only Arsenal fans that are calling, um, you know, for, for for him to be sacked or um, are expecting mm. more. And that within media, he's, he's, he's been given a pass. So everybody's sort of like not calling him, calling him out on some of the decisions that he's, he's made and stuff like that. Um, and if there was, if there, if there was another manager in charge, for example, let's say, for example, Arsene Wenger in, in, towards the end of his, his tenure at Arsenal, you know, he'd, he'd be called out for some of the decisions that Emery's making now, for example. That's a really interesting point. And I think, I think one of the things is Arsenal, the talk around Arsenal is so much less focused around that one manager. Mm. Even, I mean, Wenger's the perfect example of like, everything was Wenger, mm-hmm. both, you know, both in terms of in the media and obviously off the pitch at Arsenal. And you get that a bit at other clubs. I think you get that at United with Solskjaer. Mm-hmm. You even get that at Chelsea with Frank Lampard. But the simple fact of the matter is, because Emery is bad with the media, we tend not, bad with the media is unfair because he does everything we, that's asked of him. But because he's not, we're not talking about what Unai Emery is saying. Mm. So therefore, we're not really talking about Unai Emery. Right. We kind of talk about the players. We say, we talk about Socrates because mm. Socrates talks to us all the time. Yeah. So, you Emery's know, you can... great copy then. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Basically, yeah. Language yeah. Emery doesn't... There <laughs> there's is a language, language barrier. barrier. There's, yeah. a, there's a language... There's a language barrier between us and Unai in that... We're, we're, between the media and Unai in that we can't quite get him to say something exciting. And that, that, that really means that we don't really talk about him as much as maybe we ought to. Mm-hmm. Um, but don't and, you think that reflects onto the pitch as well with the messages he's trying to convey to his players as well? Yeah. I mean, Saka basically said that. Bakayo Saka came out and said, um, you know, Freddie Youngberg tells us some of the things we don't understand that Unai says. And I'd, I'd be worried about his, his level of English. It doesn't seem like it's got... A great deal better. Even he says it's like a six out of ten. Like, <laughs> yeah, ooh, it's not good. Uh, he talks to Hector Bellerin in Spanish. I think surely I know that there's I know that they're Spanish, but I think they should be speaking mm, in English. Yeah, I yeah. think that would be good for him. Mm-hmm. Um, he did just in general. The issue is because he's not very exciting. 
it's tough to warm to him mm. if you're a fan. So you go, oh, I just wish there was someone fun around. Mm. And particularly for Arsenal fans, you see so much of like the Jungberg talk. Yeah. Because Arsenal fans love Freddie and they mm. know he's a great mm. guy. So you go, I want him as manager. He's fun. Mm. I don't want, the, the, you know, I don't want Emery. He's not as fun. But actually, he's he's getting results. And Arsenal's view is like, that it's not all about the head coach. It's mm. about the system around him. And like, I mean, I, I could go on at great length mm. about like, it's really, it's about Edu, it's about Mertesacker, it's about Sanye, mm. and actually the head coach, Emery won't be here in another five years' time. Of course. Yeah. So yeah. it doesn't really matter, in a way. <laughs> the, the, the weirdest thing is it doesn't really matter. Yeah. It's about, have Arsenal got that system off the field? And I think they're going there. They're but that's going to take yeah. a lot yeah. longer mm. than just, you know, they're not going to be competing for the title in two years. Of course. Okay, we're, we're going to circle back on, on Arsenal towards the end of the pod anyway, where we ask... Um, uh, well, we, 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 we put, yeah, mm. the, the, the uh, questions from the listeners. Um, before we move on to the next topic though, I just wanted to touch on, on, on United. Um, so where are, where are we at the moment in terms of, um, where Manchester United should be? Um, <laughs> and, and, and uh, what, what we feel about Oli, um, where they should be, yeah. exactly where they are in the table. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, when I think about it, Leicester are better than them. Arsenal are better than them. Chelsea are probably better than them. And I said it um, when Oli was actually officially announced as, as the Man United manager. I said that this is probably the worst decision that Man United can possibly make. Yeah. And I remember during that run, I was taking a lot of stick and people were saying that, Dot, you just chat rubbish. You don't know what you're talking about. And I was saying that if you had a clear plan in place mm-hmm. to try and execute Pochettino at the end of the season, regardless of the results, you have to go all out for that man. Mm-hmm. And with Oli, the wheels are falling off. Like mm-hmm. we, we, we have to be honest with it. And when I look at him, he's, he's a reactive manager. He's not a manager that can implement a playing style. Again, similar to Emre, they're not managers that can really implement a playing style. Mm. I mean, look at Frank Lampard. After seven games, you can see his identity all over that Chelsea club. Mm. Um, circling back to Man United, I just feel we have to give a special mention to McTominay because mm. he's come, you know, he's received a lot of stick and he, he put in a man of the match performance mm. yesterday. And I mean, Daniel James as well. I like Daniel James, but I think yesterday his end product left a lot to be desired. But mm. obviously, as a young lad, mm. that was his first start in a big game. So he will get, he will acclimatize mm-hmm. to, to playing for Man United yeah, on yeah. a weekly basis. And I can see a lot of promise in him. Um, I think the analysis on Paul Pogba was a bit harsh because I don't mm. think he played bad. I feel that he really used the ball well. And Anytime wasn't he, he did get the ball, injury as well. Yeah, yeah I thought he was really good. Rashford. I yeah. was really good. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was really good. Mm. The way he used the ball, I was really impressed. And that's that's the Paul Pogba I want to see personally. Keeping it simple, and when you feel that you can play a pass into the final third, make sure you execute it. Mm-hmm. Um, Rashford, I'm going to be a bit lenient lenient on him because I feel that he was injured as well. Um, you know, he ran a lot, but his quality was a bit mm, indifferent. Mm. But to be fair, the playing conditions weren't yeah, great as well. Out. It was levering down it with rain. I think Old Trafford mm. under the lights mm. stopped fast. Mm. And I feel Man United didn't do mm. that yesterday. To be honest, Man United, you were talking last week about who is socially improved. But let's be honest, these players aren't at the level required to play for Man United. Majority of the players, when you look at Pereira, 
Did they get into another top six club? No, they don't. No, they don't. But my point was, is that mm. you have to see improvement in mm. these players. Mm-hmm. And where the problem is, is that I have not seen a single player under Oli's tutelage improve. McTominay, you just mentioned him. Has he's he really improved. improved? Yeah, he's improved. Mm. Since last season, I mean, he's gone mm. up in everyone's estimations. Mm. I think Man United, where are they? Poor. Yeah, they're where they're supposed to be, mm-hmm. to be honest. They haven't got the you know quality required. People keep giving Oli flat. But when you look at the system around him, the structure is absolutely pathetic. Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, Man United have come out and said they don't see themselves winning another league title until 2022 at the earliest. And I think it's going to take another two, three years to do that. <laughs> should, yeah, it's emba- that's embarrassing yeah, for Man United. Go- it's going to mm. take a long time. I mean, pff, which plays were good? Huh. <laughs> McTominay I thought Tenzebi until the mistake he put no, in the he shift played well. he, played he played well and out of position as well right? Mm. yes yeah, he's yeah, normally so. a centre back mm. I remember watching him you know at Aston Villa last season under the tutelage of you know John Terry he put on some heroic performances and until that mistake where he passed the ball he, he was playing well mm. even so, after the mistake he, yeah. he picked his mm. head up and mm. he really finished the game mm. more strongly but James I want to ask you if I gave you 200 million to invest in that Man United team um in fact, you're going to invest 200 million into that Man United playing squad. Oli is the manager. Would you have confidence in him to? No, no. <laughs> I just, I, I'm, 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 I'm sorry, Oli, but like, th- there's a real difference between being the interim manager and the guy that, <laughs> you know, just relaxes things and then suddenly having to switch to being the man in charge. And I think Solskjaer's a great guy, but he's not Pochettino, as you said. Mm. Like, not getting Pochettino is unforgivable. And <laughs> if the Glazers really cared, that, that's the sort of thing you don't sack Solskjaer, you sack Woodward. That's right? what I'm saying. That's where the I problem starts. It starts at the top. Yeah. So when people are Ollie's this, Ollie's shit, for me, it's novelty. Let's mm-hmm. look at the whole structure. Mm-hmm. What are the Glazers doing? They're not being proactive. And at the end of the day, a manager is only as good as their tools. And the tools that Ollie's been given is yeah. rubbish. We have to be honest. Mm-hmm. I think for me, it's a supply teacher that's mm. trying to be a head teacher. Yeah. It just doesn't work. Mm. Exactly. Yeah, but he's not been given the backing. No, no. If you give him better backing, he's he, not been he given. Was, he wanted to sell Lukaku. No, but he's not been <laughs> he given. He wanted to sell. Sanchez. He's not been given the best opportunity to succeed at Man United, mm. and that that's where it ends for me. Okay, so Dad, when they're in mid table, mm. mm. you will defend. Has that he been back? Well, yeah. Has he been back? Yeah, he, he hasn't he been spent, back. He spent one hundred and forty million. How much did he get back from Lukaku? So, no, you have to. Everyone you have sells. to. It's a significant amount and they haven't spent. So you need to have mm. more investment. Man United, they've sorted out the defence. I mm-hmm. think the defence can improve. Mm. Obviously, you've got Juan Bissaka, Maguire, Luke Shaw. I'm not convinced on him, but he's still a left back. Mm. But they need to sort out that middle section. I mean, mm. Man United, they've said they want to play like Liverpool Man City. For me, that midfield is too cumbersome. Mm. They need to find better runners, better pressers and... I they, think have, they have a 60 million player on the bench called mm. Fred. Yeah. A good manager should try and improve him. Mm. He should. He should. And he's not. So that's an issue in itself. But I believe <laughs> give Man United two or three transfer windows under Oli. What did you say? Why are you shaking your head? He knows. Anyway, I think let, let's move on now. Let's move on. Um, now, last week... Um, I called out Bernardo Silva um, as my prospect of the week, given the fact that after the scintillating performance he put on, um, he undid all of that with the tweet that he put out, um, which was addressing um, Bernardo Silva. He obviously mentioned that he said it in jest and it was a joke between two friends. 
Um, but of course, there's been a furore in the, in the media since then with a loads of different people coming out and speaking on the issue. Of course, uh, Raheem Sterling had, um, that, that interview, uh, where he spoke about it. John Barnes has come out and spoken about it. Um, Michael Richards as well. Um, so it is definitely a, um, a topic that is, um, hot on the press at the moment. Um, I wanted to ask you guys, uh, viewing, I know last week we spoke about whether or not Bernardo Silva was a racist and, and you know, it, did he really say it in jest? Should mm. it have been uh, uh, sent around it on WhatsApp? So on and so forth. But what I want us to basically uh, deep dive into more so is less about uh, Bernardo Silva's tweet and more about the comments that have been made by different people on it. So like, like I mentioned, Raheem Sterling, John Barnes, Micah Richards and Pep Guardiola. I think... This um, situation has turned into a soap opera that didn't actually need to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I understand is that Man City's PR team is is very good. So I, I would have expected them to nip this situation in the bud. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it could have all ended if Man City said, you know what, we apologise for the tweet. Um, Bernardo Silva didn't mean any malice behind this tweet. Mm-hmm. Um but we will deal with it internally and we will put an end to this to this situation. And we're very sorry if it offended anyone. Where Man City have gone wrong is that Pep Guardiola felt the need to come out and have this sort of strong defence um, when it comes to Bernardo Silva. And he said, I quote, um, he said, Bernardo Silva talks six languages. So there's no way he can basically be a racist. Um, first of all, each and every individual is entitled to their opinion, which is fair enough. So Pep is entitled to his opinion. But where I want to interject is that it doesn't mean because he speaks six languages that you can't be racist or you can't make a racist comment. And what upsets me is that Pep Guardiola should know better. But then again, his track record, I mean, Yaya Torre has come out. Samuel Eto's come out, you know, criticizing Peps in, in these situations. And I believe that, um, where it's spiraled out of control is that people like John Barnes have got involved and now Raheem Sterling has got involved. And the thing is, is when the incident actually happened, um, Dej called me, I think like an hour later and he was like, oh, have you seen what's happened? And, he was like, I bet you any money within a couple of hours, John Barnes is going to be on Sky Sports News. <laughs> uh, what happened? John Barnes comes onto the, you know, TV, comes onto our platforms. And this is a man that I remember there was iconic pictures of him, you know, backheeling a banana off the pitch. And this is a guy that's in danger of, you know, jeopardizing his status. I mean, I remember him as a Liverpool legend and him coming out and, you know, defending racist behavior and saying, oh, how can you find it racist? How can you be offended? I think it's rubbish. You you are not the metric of telling people what they should and shouldn't be, you know, offended by. And for them to say, oh, it's not racist, blah, blah. And he got onto a spat with, you know, Darren Lewis and Hugh Woodsencroft on TalkSport. And the fact that he continues to, you know, say this behavior is okay, it's embarrassing. It's because just, a lot of people, like, let's say racist people, be oh, John Barnes doesn't find it racist. How can you find it racist? You're playing the race card. And I think, again, this all stems from the fact that Man City haven't nipped it in the bud. And, you know, putting or making Raheem Sterling come out in front of the press, you could see he was visibly uncomfortable. He was looking down. 
Like if you're a body language expert, you'll see all the uncomfortable signs. And this is a guy through no fault of his own. He's been made into that pillar, that Colin Kaepernick, you know, type of figure in football mm. where everyone sees him as the reference. So if there's racism in football, go to Raheem Sterling. And he was left hung out to dry. We have to. So do you feel that he 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 had that interview um, because City forced him to, or and it wasn't so, of his own accord? To be honest, he was put in a no-win situation. So there was two, you know, outcomes that could have came out of that interview. A, headline, um, Raheem Sterling goes against his manager, goes against his club, and he's potentially going to be punished after that. And then B, wow, Raheem Sterling has said that this ain't racist. This is meant to be the pillar. This is meant to be the spearhead of trying to nip racism in the bud Mm -hmm. in, in society and also in football. So he was put in a situation where he can't mm, win mm, and catch 22 mm. clearly i know internally ryan sterling probably ain't happy with that tweet but it's either you're gonna go against your club and mm. potentially pay a punishment or you're gonna go against your supporters that are supporting you mm. in this racism fight when he was talking he was dropping in little hints saying oh, i didn't mention the color of his skin or they're good friends so blah blah he kept repeating himself you could see that he was he was very very uncomfortable and mm-hmm. again all these different people coming in john barnes um, you know, Victor Nechibi, I thought he spoke very, very well mm-hmm. on the issue. You know, he said if he was a teammate in that situation, that can't happen, that can't run. Mm-hmm. I mean, because there's many people in places of work that suffer different forms of discrimination. And mm-hmm. when people like John Barnes are coming out and saying, oh, it's not racist. Why do you find it racist? Blah, blah, jet black skin. Mm-hmm. It was saying it's a bit offensive. insensitive, isn't it? Yeah, yeah very insensitive. Dismissing people's thoughts and Of and course. And bringing think... in N'Golo Kante, saying, oh, he's got jet black skin, big pink lips. He just... Oh, oh yeah, I saw yeah, something yeah, like yeah, caricatures. Yeah, like caricatures. Yeah, caricature. I feel that, like, John Barnes, he makes me sad because he's filling the agenda for people to say, see... John Barnes doesn't think he's racist. Mm, He's not racist. And the thing is with John Barnes, he's probably the biggest English black player in the history. So whatever he says is going to be seen Mm. as gospel to a lot of people Mm. that don't understand racism. So the minute John Barnes comes and says, you know what, there's no big deal here. People need to receive racism. It's wrong because who are you to determine what racism is? Just because you're the best black footballer or the best black English footballer that's mm. playing football mm. it doesn't mean that you set the standard of racism mm. each and every individual is entitled to their opinion and what they feel is racist didn't you see on TalkSport I think listeners were messaging in and said oh John Barnes speaking absolute sense disgracing the said. TalkSport pundits yeah, yeah. yeah you know he owned the TalkSport pundits and again let's be real 80-90% to 90% of TalkSport listeners they're probably white so they're probably thinking you know what see this is what we're talking He's about. Black it, yeah. people at it again, playing the victim card, playing the race card. And John Barnes needs to be very, very careful because, and also another thing I'll add, the sports media need to be careful as well. They need to stop giving this man airtime as well. Yeah. Normally when there's racist incidents, <laughs> they'll call Troy Townsend, but now it's turned to John Barnes. You see him in his suit on being sports guy. Just to interject, what was so embarrassing is that he didn't even have the decency to come into the studio. He was doing it from his bedroom. Like, he just got out of bed. Yeah, it's, it's embarrassing. James, it, I, I, think it's, I think it's... Obviously, I, you know, I, I have to be careful. Well, it's incredible. I, I kind of feel like John Barnes is, is, is as you say, he's speaking to make white people feel better. Yes. And it, 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 he's basically sort of saying to, to people who kind of don't quite know what to think, don't worry, you don't have to think about this. I've had a think for you and said, this is fine. 
Well, actually, it's really important that we do think about this, you know, whoever we are in society and think, do we think this is acceptable to be posted in a public forum? Um, I mean, the only other thing I'd want to say that I, I, I think the media has handled, or a lot of people like Darren Lewis have handled really well, um, and, and you guys here as well, is is that you, you're capable of, like, separating the act from the person. Like, we don't mm-hmm. know Bernardo Silva mm-hmm. well enough to mm-hmm. to know whether tr- truly whether he's a racist i think the fact that this isn't the only example of this like means that potentially that's a question he has to answer to someone but it, it, it's not to me he doesn't have to but the issue that pep guardiola's had is he's seen people say what bernardo silva did was racist and he's heard that as bernardo silva yes. is yes. a racist yes. and I mean, uh, but then, I mean, this this stupid argument that, oh, he's smart, so he can't be racist. <laughs> well, I think, you know, I think, we, I think we can look at, you know, I don't, again, I don't want to go too, too deep into politics, but I think we can look at our government right now to know you can be pretty well educated, speak multiple languages, and still be racist. It's horrendous. I, I just, I, just, I think, yeah, I wish John Barnes would shut up and, you know, understand that he, a middle-aged man, is does not define racism. Definitely. I mean, I mean Budge, we've moved away from the, you know, the black and white minstrel show that was, you know, removed from the BBC. The, and the golly one mm-hmm. and all that. Like, like let's, we want to move on. We don't want to be continuing to fight this battle. And these, those sort of pictures are unacceptable. Mm. And I was listening to Martin Samuel on the Sunday Supplement. And he was like, if you want to get visuals like that and stuff like that, there's one place you can get it. And that's on the BMP website. Because mm. those things ain't acceptable in mm-hmm. this country anymore. Of course, you would like to think society has evolved into where everything is inclusive, diversity. That's what we push on this platform. Mm-hmm. We don't want to see any racism or discriminatory behaviour. We want to see inclusive behaviour. And I think mm-hmm. people like John Barnes, he just needs to get back into his rabbit hole. <laughs> and, you know, keep shot because coming out... I'm losing and, respect for yeah, him. Like, he, he was one of my day. heroes growing up, but now... I'm starting to have doubts with the actual picture, the symbolic picture of him, you know, kicking the, the back heel in the, the banana skin. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. he kept referencing himself as light skin. So I'm thinking, like, do you actually really think you're black? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's just the last thought I want to add to this debate. Yeah, I think we're ready that's to fine. move on, yeah. Yeah. On a lighter note, um, <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's, uh, let's review the uh, the rest of the weekend's fixtures. Let's start... With um the only game of of of, of on Sunday, okay, uh, uh, with Leicester winning five 0 at home to, to to Newcastle, what are your thoughts on on that result and and the game? I mean, you know, I'm Brendan's biggest fan. <laughs> I've been saying for two years that give that guy the Arsenal job, give that guy the Man United mm-hmm. job because he will mm-hmm. propel them into mm-hmm. the top four. Um, I think it it's funny because. People may think I'm crazy, but I feel that you see a good team mm-hmm. when their opposition is down to 10 men. And I feel there's some teams, I mean, when you look at the Aston Villas of this world and a few other teams in the Premier League, when they're playing against 10 men, they're void of ideas. Mm-hmm. And the way Leicester carved open Newcastle time after time after time mm. shows that a lot of, you know, work is being done in training to break a defensive low block and I mean Jamie Vardy how old is he now 32 and he's still he's like a spring chicken like a spring chicken I think playing in you know non-league might have helped him and you know saved a few years for him Mm. because he wasn't having to you know do that day after day day after day graft so it's actually saved him Mm -hmm. and the rumour has it is that he's at his fittest state 
I think he's got the lowest yeah. body fat that he's ever had. And, you know, Brendan Rodgers, as Dot likes to talk about imprinting philosophies, mm-hmm. we can definitely see this man's philosophy in, you know, less than... <laughs> they're doing well. I mean, I spoke to someone well-versed in the game that I respect, mm-hmm. and he said that he believes this Leicester side will be finishing in the top six. And their performances so far, so you have to say, that yeah. Could, that could because happen. Initially, I think, they, I think they're going to finish third. You think so, James? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> look at that team. Wow. Just look at it. Yeah. I, there's so many good players in that team. Yuri Tielemans gets into any midfield other than Cities and Liverpools. Like, Jamie Fair, Vardy, yeah. as you were just saying. Yeah. Wow. Unbelievable. What a striker. Um, and then there's an awful lot of depth in those attacking positions. Mm. And Didi is massively underrated. Oh, he's an yeah. amazing player. Yeah. Amazing player. Mm. As every team in the world could do with a player like just who just sits, not doesn't just sit in front of the defence, but when he sits in front of the defence, it's like nothing's getting past. Yep. So, mm. I mean, I don't see any of the top six at the moment that are better than them. Like, And we know yeah. this is Leicester, man. Like, you know, they know, how, they know what they're doing when it comes to the like, end of the season. Pulling off some miracles, mm. so can't see another title. But like, why on earth would they not? Yeah, I definitely think I'm confident that they're top four. And yeah. yeah, third, good, go good, good. I mean, good, good players all uh, across the, the the board, really. Um, in every position. A uh, special shout out as well to to their fullbacks in particular, yes. um, Ricardo Pereira, yeah. who put in an absolute uh, masterclass performance. Um, what I wanted to ask is where where do you think he ranks in terms of best fullbacks in the league? Uh, after Alexander Arnold, he's the best in his position in the uh, right back. I agree. Okay. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And then maybe you put in, you know, Robertson if you're kind of doing both flanks. What about yeah. just right back? So just right back. So just I mean, right back. Yeah, second. second best in the league. But, but if we're doing all like just full backs in general, so left backs and right backs. Third. I don't know. I mean, so you only have Trent and, and, and Robertson ahead of him. Well, yeah, I think tapping, tapping football on a pole, mm-hmm. talking about, okay, so when Hector Bellerin mm. is fit, who would you rather have, Bellerin or Pereira? So Bellerin from last season when he was Arsenal's second most influential right back. Oh, that's really tight. Uh, I actually don't know. Honestly, I'd take either. Um, possibly Bellerin by a shade. Because he's a bit younger, and if you're kind of mm. thinking about it in like a team building perspective, but like, yeah, Ricardo Pereira is is a phenomenal. He's a beast, he, yeah, he, yeah. And you could, the thing with him is he's so versatile. You can play him high up the pitch against mm. a, a top team as well. As it's a crazy, yeah. mm. technique is really really good mm. for a fullback. Yeah, crazy mm. athleticism, technique. He's got the Dribbling full package. As well. Yeah, he can, yeah. He can mm. gets up so and down. He's a top mm. player. He's a top player. Are there are there concerns for Newcastle? I've said it. I, I'm, not, I'm not concerned. You're not concerned? They're awful. Yeah. So, well, yeah, but he said I... Bruce deserves opportunity. He does, but that doesn't take away from a, the fact that they're awful. So what, do you think they're getting relegated? I said it. I said that I'll be surprised. After week one, I mm. said I'll be surprised if there's three worst teams than that Newcastle mm. team. I've said yeah. it. I think Newcastle are absolutely you, abysmal. You've taken out... Yeah, Steve Bruce. I think he's a championship manager. Mm. Let's be honest, he's a championship manager. <laughs> yeah, but then what I'm trying actually... to say is that we need to give him some time. Yeah, but no, he's, he's rubbish. Not... He's rubbish. He's rubbish. He's absolutely rubbish. I don't see him doing a job there. Mm. I mean, even when they went down to 10 men, under Benitez, I think they would have sealed the gaps a bit mm. more. But when they went down to 10 men, there was sort of like a resignation that, you know what, we're going to lose this. I mm. mean, 
early on in the season, I think it was the Norwich game, Steve Bruce was talking about players coming into training on Sunday. And now after that game, they're talking about refunding the fans. I mean, how long can this continue for? Mm. Well, I think, I think in the end, I've got a lot of sympathy with Bruce. But I think you're right. He's a, I would say he's kind of in that borderline where yeah. he's the sort of manager that will get you out of the championship, yeah. but maybe like a Neil Warnock. He's going to struggle in the Premier League now, but... Mm. In the end, what they've done is they've traded one of the best managers in the world. Mm. I think, you know, if we look at where that squad is now, they've basically traded one of the best in the world for a pretty an average manager. And that this is what happens. Like, the players aren't really good enough. I'm a bit worried at how much they spent on jo- Joel Linton. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't look all that. <laughs> yeah. We were saying, I think, with Miguel Delaney, I think I, yeah. I mentioned him as being maybe the flop of the season yeah. because you can't see how they're going to provide service for yeah. him even to score. That's I know he scored that decent goal against Tottenham, but barring that, I mean, I've not been impressed. Well, and he can't impress you, can he? Because he's got a supply line behind him of like Matt Ritchie, Christian Atsu. <laughs> like, he could, but you know, you, you could go and put Bamiang in that team. Someone would still have to give the ball to him. Yeah, that's like, true. Yeah. Yeah, they're just really bad. I feel dreadful for their fans, but like, oh, it's just, it's dreadful to see them. It be so dreadful. They're, <laughs> and again, they're going to stink up the place for the rest of the season. That's my fear. And it, again, it just shows you how bad you know the management and the ownership from Mike Ashley has been. I mean, Newcastle historically they dwarf Leicester in terms of size of club. Mm-hmm. And when you see the juxtaposition of the position of the clubs, mm. it's terrible. It's terrible. Leicester on the up, Newcastle on the down. Mm. And I see Newcastle, their season culminating in a relegation. <laughs> it's hard to see so early on in the season as well, mm. uh, unfortunately. Okay, we also um, saw uh, Everton's poor run of form continue at the weekend. Um, they were at home to City um, and managed to lose 3-1. Um, a lot of talking points from this game. Of course, um, uh, uh, a great milestone for Raheem Sterling, managing to get his 100th um, Premier League goal at 24 years of age, which is no Very mean feat. Um, you know, you obviously had uh, the Mares masterclass with the performance that he put in, being you know almost uh, well, I, I, I'd say the uh, the second chief chief creator behind um, uh, De Bruyne in that game. Um, and of course, De Bruyne got his customary assist oh. too. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, is it what are you? What do you guys feel about about that game in particular? What were the key things to to note for you? Usually, when Everton lose, I just want to rip into them. But mm-hmm. this week, I feel that very good performance. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Marco Silva got his tactics right, but it's just a quality issue. Man mm-hmm. City just have more quality than them. Um. And then just to go back to Man City, I was, um, I was having a think at work, actually. I, I don't know if I should be doing that, <laughs> but, um, I was thinking that we, you can possibly make the argument that Riyad Mahrez is probably the best African winger to play in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> he's a player that goes under the radar. Yeah. And I remember, I think maybe like a mid, midway through last season, I was like, he's Man City's best winger. And then I think he was in and out of the team and then Ryan Sterling came to significance mm-hmm. and, you know, Sane was playing well. And then I was like, hold on, I'm ranking him last out of these three wingers. But when you look at it from a technical standpoint, um, skill set wise, he probably has the best skill set. Um, you can make the argument that he's probably had the best season mm-hmm. um, out of Mo Salah and Sadio Mane. 
um, due to the fact that he taught Leicester to the Premier League. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> and when I ask you how much did Riyad Mahrez move for, some people tend to forget that he was actually a £60 million yeah. transfer. Mm-hmm. So this is a really, really, really top player. Mm-hmm. And I feel that with a consistent run of games, he can really be the difference for Man City because genuinely he's a he's a world-class talent. Mm. In my opinion. I mean, 17, you know, goal involvements in 17 games in all competition. I mean, that's remarkable stats. Mm -hmm. I mean, we saw him against, you know, West Ham putting a man of the match performance, you know, against Everton. He came into his own and I think now he actually feels like he belongs at City. Mm -hmm. I think early on he felt like, you know, the spare Mm tyre. He was thinking, oh, I've got all these stars ahead of me. Wow. Raheem Sterling, Aguero you know, glazy-eyed. Mm-hmm. But now he's thinking, you know what? This is business, yeah. man. I'm here to play football. Mm-hmm. And you can see it in his performance. Technically, so supreme. Mm-hmm. You know, that left foot. I mean, to be honest, Pickford's keeping. That's <laughs> another question. That's I think we're going to delve into him. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've got the weekly Pickford on this show, man. Because <laughs> his performances are absolutely inept. But mm-hmm. we're talking about it from a, you know, City perspective. Kevin De Bruyne, I call it a half penalty. When he's in that position on the court of the box, when he whips it in, it's inevitable. Mm. I mean, eight assists so far. He doesn't even have to look. Yeah, he just, he can he do just it. puts it on a sixpence. Whoever is the in the box. eight assists so far. I mean, that matches, you know, says Fabregas in oh nine oh ten. Mm. I mean, he's just, you know, and I remember the season that Fabregas had that that year. That was yeah. he's ripping the, defenses to mm. shreds. They're just to go back to your point on Real Morris, don't you think it was more Pep Guardiola taking him out of the firing line, saying, "Listen, you need to learn my philosophy. You need to learn." my style of play we're a team here and you need to adapt to that definitely I think we see it similarly to Liverpool with Shakiri. we see Shakiri putting decent performances then Klopp will take him out we're like why are you taking him out mm. but there's certain things off the ball that you need to be doing and these managers Peps Klopps if you're not doing the things off the ball you can be scoring yeah. all you like they will take so you out the action yeah very, very meticulous about. I, I kind of don't really have much more to add on that. I, just, mm. I mean I guess with Mahrez, it's isn't it? It's that thing of he was the best player in the best story the Premier League has ever seen. Well, you know, with the odd exception of maybe Vardy or whoever. But so mm. everything after that always feels a bit underwhelming. When you were saying seventeen goal involvements in seventeen games, I was like, now nah, I thought he did. I was like, I thought he had like a half or a quarter of that because mm. we just kind of assume he's not in good form. I guess mm. that's the sort of bizarre thing with City is you can have seventeen goal involvements in seventeen games. And you're basically just kind of on the form. That's a bad ride. Crazy. Crazy. <laughs> yeah, and apparently that African Cup of Nations, he came back with a swagger mm-hmm. with, a, with the bit between his teeth that yeah, this season I'm going to put on a virtuoso. Yeah, I remember that his, his goal in, <laughs> oh, uh, in Nigeria, Nigeria yeah. game. That was, Clutch. Yeah. Are we going to talk about Everton? <laughs> I, <think> I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, their record against Manchester City, I think it's only one win in 13. I mean, mm-hmm. so that shows that they can't win for Toffee. Excuse the pun. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, I think Everton, I mean, beginning of the season, I was saying to Dot, I think this team can challenge the top six. And Dot always says to me, Dot says to me, Dej, come on, man. Everton are shit. Mm. Like, they can sign whoever they want. They're going to finish seventh or eighth. And I think we're seeing that. I mean, Jordan Pickford, I think that guy... <sighs> 
I don't know. I don't know what to say on him. I think each week mm. he just does something utterly ridiculous. Mm. This week, end of the game, he runs out of his box. <laughs> he tries to have a duel with the attacker and he laughs about it on camera. Yeah, he lost the ball. Yeah, <laughs> he does. He's not serious. He's not serious. Neville was like, why are you laughing? Yeah. Like, it's just because you're doing the game. Why are you laughing? Oh my gosh. Do you know what? With, with Everton... No, I'm not making any excuses, but I, I mean, is that the issue isn't lack of investment. They are spending money and I know their transfer strategy is a bit hit or miss, but they've, they've, they've got some good individual talent. They've got some good players. You look at, you know, um, someone like, uh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> 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 okay, that didn't quite work out the way that I had it planned. But I, 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 what, what no, is boy, the issue what you're with Everton? Say, the owners mean well. Yeah, they're very yeah. loose with the purse no, strings. No, they, they do have some good players, as Boyd is trying mm. to say. But so, I just so feel like that Andre Gomez, even he's though he's starting the season, mm. Paulie, mm. Richarlison, Richarlison. I, he's I off see form. A there, he's man. off form. Sigurdsson's off form. Yeah. So if these players aren't on form, who's going to bail you out? They haven't got a striker, Calvert Lewin. For me, he's not a Premier League striker. Moise wow. Keane hasn't really. I don't think. Harsh. I don't think Calvert Lewin's a Premier League striker or at that level, top six, top seven, maybe bottom half. He can do something, chipping with your six, seven goals a season. Mm. But for me, he's just like a physical specimen. He's a good athlete, but knocking in the goals and having that sense of how to get a goal. I don't think he has it. Mm. I mean, in Nick Seamus Coleman's goal on the weekend as well. I mean, James Coleman wasn't. Yeah. yeah, Coleman mm. wasn't happy about that. But mm. I just think Everton. I mean, they're they're stuck, like. Yeah, they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Mm. I mean, they're probably going to finish eighth or ninth. And again, when you're spending that sort of money, you want results. Mm. And Farhad Mashiri and Marcel Brands, you know, they want results mm. for the investment. I think they're moving into a new stadium soon as well. Mm. So they want to be, you know, seeing some improvement. And at this moment, they're not really seeing that. But again, it's still very, very early in the season. Um, to be honest, um, as Dez said, he feels like they'll finish eighth or ninth. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but I feel that it's how they finish eighth mm, or ninth, yeah. which is more important. Um, so I'm still willing to make, give Marco Silva some time. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Yeah, does he, does he I don't think he, he, is, he is the right man for the job. Mm. Um, but yeah, we'll see how it's going to culminate. Fair point. Okay. Another game that there was uh, a lot of talking points around was um, the fact that uh, uh, Sheffield United hosted Liverpool. Um, You've fallen uh, back into your old habits, man. Oh, man. We thought you practiced, James. On this podcast, we call Liverpool the European champion. (laughs) Good, man. Okay. Let me me rewind and come again. So, Sheffield United hosted the European champions. (laughs) To be fair, it was a it was it was a hard fought win, um, and and I know you know Dead you in 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 recent weeks have have um you know praised Chris Wilder for the way yeah. that he's set up his team and, mm. and and the performances that they've churned out, and 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 again you know he he set up the team very very well, and if not for a few missed chances, you know they could have taken something away from that game. So what do you what do you guys feel about um about the game? What what are your thoughts? It's funny because me and Dez speak about you know Liverpool all the time, and I I remember last season to a, um I was referring back to a particular game, and mm-hmm. throughout the whole course of the season I was like, when do we have Cardiff away? And like 
Tej was thinking, thought like, Cardiff are poor, like we're gonna yeah. we're gonna batter them. And I was thinking, those are the games that you're never in danger of losing, but you may not win. Mm-hmm. And something really mm-hmm. horrible can happen at one of those grounds, mm-hmm. like a leg break or a knee snap. <laughs> and and it, it, yeah. for some reason, I just yeah. have that feeling yeah, with those yeah, kind yeah, of games. Yeah, yeah. And if I remember correctly, we struggled against Cardiff. It took on to the second half for us to eventually break them down and we eventually got the win. Mm-hmm. So then I was thinking, oh, Sheffield United away from home. Everyone was predicting a routine Liverpool win. And I was thinking, I'm scared. 45 minutes throughout the, through the game and half time. And I'm like, yeah, Doc, you were saying dead. <laughs> we're like, going to drop points. We're yeah. losing this game. We're going to lose it. <laughs> I was saying to Doc, nah, Liverpool win. You don't win 16 on the trot if you're not a solution finder. Mm-hmm. Liverpool have found the solutions to break down many a defence and that was the same this weekend. Although, we know it was a fortuitous goal. Mm-hmm. You know, Dean Henderson huh, made a very massive clangor mm-hmm. that benefited Liverpool. But just to go into the game, I thought Sheffield United, I mean, I remember playing football and my managers used to say to me, you got to earn the right to play. And Liverpool had to earn the right to play on that weekend because <laughs> Sheffield United, their tails were up. Their organised defence, I mean, Basham, Egan, O'Connell, mm. I mean, they know their systems inside out. Yeah. They congested the centre of the pitch. So when Liverpool were trying to do, you know, look, good intricate passes, it was failing. I mean, you saw the chance with Mane, you know, when he um, Van Dijk looped over mm-hmm. to him and he missed it. But imagine Genie Wijnaldum's shot was Liverpool's first shot on target. That shows how hard and dogged Sheffield United were. And <laughs> yeah. it was a good effort from them. It was a massive, massive effort. And this season, I can see them turning over one of the big boys. One of the top six mm. will go to Bramall Lane and get turned over, in my opinion. <laughs> They've got Arsenal in a few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I kind of feel like everyone's been praising like Sheffield United, and rightly so, massively rightly so. But kind of no one's really said... That how impressive it is that Liverpool actually won that game because, like, man, she- as you say, Sheffield United made them work for every single yard. And those are the sort of games mm. where if it's not your year, you drop two points. Yes. And I I know that it was so early in the season, but when you look at the quality of, like, Liverpool and City, it reminds me of, like, when it was Mourinho's Barcelona, Mourinho's Real Madrid mm-hmm. against uh, Pep's Barcelona and every two points dropped felt like an, a cataclysm yeah. you, winning these games is massive for Liverpool uh, and if they win these games they win the title like, simple as that because oh. City won't win them City's eyes are on the, on the Champions League you think so? I, I, I think I think to be honest how, how, what's the gap now? five points? yeah could take till Christmas for, for City to, to, to draw level with that like that's the mm. standard that, mm. that these two teams are hitting so a couple more wins like this and you know you really start to buy the idea of Liverpool winning the league and I just think yeah. it's but I feel that that was like I would say the first game out of this run where I can say you know what Sheffield United's tactics actually worked and mm-hmm. they've done a number on Liverpool and the most impressive thing that I saw from Sheffield United is that they cut off every single passing lane. Mm-hmm. So when Liverpool did try and play into the final third, it wasn't really on. And if you rewatch the game back, you'll see that a lot of balls went out of play when it mm-hmm. came to Liverpool's passing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Chris Wilder, he's doing a great job there. Mm-hmm. Alfred in town, you know, going up the football pyramid. Mm-hmm. He's a, he's doing a stellar job. But again, for Liverpool, I mean, that victory reminded me of Fergie's old United sides 
where they played poorly and you're thinking, how on earth have they won this game? Mm. And I've said it off the record to you, Dot on Borge, that I see Liverpool winning this league title mm. by five to eight points. People are calling me a <laughs> madman. Yeah. People are saying I'm drunk, but that's what I see because this City side remind me of like the bully in the playground. Mm-hmm. If they see that Liverpool aren't budging, I can see them, you know, throwing their toys out of the pram. <laughs> Pep's already saying, oh, Liverpool, I mean, we're mm. up against a great competitor, this and that. So you can already see that Liverpool are living in City's heads rent free, <laughs> and it also it also would appear that the footballing gods are on the side of um, yeah. Liverpool at the moment. You know, with City's first injury being Sane, and then um, Laporte. Uh, Laporte got injured, and now De Bruyne apparently mm. he's he's picked up another injury. So it's like. Mm. Everything's sort of leaning in in the favour of, of of Liverpool at the minute, so that's that that'd be interesting come the end of the season as well. Also, it'll be want... hell if Liverpool win the title. It'll be hell. Why? <laughs> I think Liverpool. Let's be honest, James. We've got the most knowledgeable fan base. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the fans are calm. We don't brag. <laughs> We're a decent fan base. Come oh, on, come on, James. Mate, I just I'm just booking a holiday. <laughs> I'll be delighted for all the Liverpool fans I know, but I just don't want to hear from them. Why not? That's a bit harsh. <laughs> yeah. Same reason that you don't want I don't know I just it would mean so much to I think the annoying thing for an Arsenal fan about Liverpool is that they've just done things the right way mm. with City you can com- compartmentalise it as uh, they're rich kind of mm. same that you could with Chelsea yeah uh, Man United they're Man United but like with Liverpool you'd be like oh Oh, they've just gone and won the league by doing kind of what we should be doing. Like, yeah. it's that um, annoying thing of like yeah. they've actually just run their club well, um, <laughs> and that you wouldn't really have. You there's always a comeback with everyone else, but if Liverpool won it, the annoying thing really, is you yeah. just have to go. Oh, oh well done, lads! Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that would be hell. And, I think and you can't run the joke. Where's your league title yes. anymore? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yes. That, yes. Yeah, losing that joke would be massive. <laughs> also, I just wanted to make a comment about Henderson. I mean, this is a goalkeeper I saw as well in the Euro under 21s mm. make a similar clangor. He seems to have maybe, you know, concentration issues. Mm. And I think, you know, Chris Wilder was a bit harsh on him after the game. Okay. Wonderful segue, because yeah. I was no, actually going to ask I, that. I'm not do you, a fan do you of feel, that. Do you I'm... feel that he was a bit a bit too harsh in his, mm. in his comments? And I also find it quite interesting um, and surprising that he spoke about you know the fact that oh yeah he he wants to play for Man United one day. I think so, I think that had a bit. I think that had a major. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I think that was major as to why he said that. Mm-hmm. I feel that if he was actually a Sheffield United player, I think he would have addressed that and approached that situation differently. He knows that he's going to potentially lose him probably at the end of the season. So tough luck. Mm. Yeah, I thought it was a bit harsh. I think other managers when you're talking about the top managers, maybe a Klopp or Pep, mm. they would have probably put their arm around the keeper yeah, and say, you know yeah. what, we win as a team, we lose as, as a team. Mm-hmm. If he's made a mistake, it's our mistake. Mm. But Wilder kind of, you know, hung him out to dry. Yeah. But also, we must remember that Wilder knows him as an individual. So he will know probably what makes him tick. Mm-hmm. So if he needs a tough love, then that's what he's going to get. I think you need to, you need to cajole young players in that, in that sort of situation. But we'll see how he responds. Yeah. Fair point. Tottenham hosted um, Southampton and and managed to pull a two one win out the bag, uh, despite we'll going we'll down. James, to, we'll let James. <laughs> yeah. Despite going James down is to ten men, us, like you um, guys talk. Yeah, <laughs> what are your thoughts on that on that game, James? Um, that I that I had the same uh, from a neutral point of view that I have the same worries about Tottenham that I've had for months. That um, there, there's just something lacking there. It's they're not exciting. Um, 
luck was on their side today, but it won't always be. And um, the whole Ericsson situation, I can't believe how much of a mess that is because I don't really get the impression that Ericsson is being difficult. I don't know what's going on off the pitch, but I know my colleague at Football.London Tottenham, uh, who covers Tottenham, has never kind of given the impression that Ericsson is a difficult guy mm-hmm. who's like, you have to let me go. And by all accounts, he was basically just like, um, if Real Madrid or Barcelona come in for me, I'd like to go. But if mm-hmm. not, I'm happy to stay around for another season. And like, they they were really difficult uh, about. I felt Spurs were like really difficult about that, and it feels like Pochettino is turning this into more of an issue than it needs to be. Just okay. let let Ericsson get on with what he's doing. He's a he's a really good player. Like get him involved in the team and this weird mm. sort of passive aggressive relationship that yeah. that Pochettino seems to have with Ericsson. It's like spilling into the fans. I don't like to see it because I think Ericsson's a great player, and I think it'd be a real shame if like probably one of Tottenham's best players of the Premier League era just leaves in this really sour way. Mm. I, it, Spurs would be so much better with him in the team. And I know that, you know, Jack said, I think much the same when he was on your podcast yeah, as well. Yeah. Uh, it, it, just a question. It seems that Pochettino has become really emotional mm. with the press, with his players. Is there, is, is all things well at, at the club? I mean, I think a lot of it from from looking from a, a degree of distance is that it all just seems a little bit tired and mm. you know that that maybe these messages that that got through so well a few years ago aren't anymore it doesn't help that you know you look back to that team that came second and actually not much of it's really left the defenders you still got the center backs but Dyer's gone in that he's he's gone to the edge Deli Ali's been kind of out of the team so a lot of the real lieutenants of that team have kind of broken up in a weird way and I don't really think the message is getting through I think that's what it what it kind of comes down to I was even you know reading in the press as well that um after Sissoko was handed these you know three or four year contract Pochettino said you know what I had nothing to do with this this was above my head and I think maybe I don't know is there a power you know battle at the club I'm not sure but to be honest if we're going to dissect the game after Tottenham went down to 10 men, that's the sort of game where if there's real issues in the camp, you go and lose that game. Mm. So for them to no, actually get a result, no, no, for I... me, for, for me, that shows that there's a bit of camaraderie in the camp. Mm. If there's a bit of dishonesty or this player doesn't like that player, you chuck it in, you bottle it, but mm. the players, you know, rolled up their sleeves and, you know, got the three points, a hard fought three points as well. What's interesting is that there's a rumor going around, um, apparently I that. I think that's rubbish. I know what you're yeah. going to say. Yeah, I think that is rubbish. It's rubbish. No, it's rubbish. What's the rumour? No, no, no smoke out fire? No. Nah, what's the rumour? So there's, there's a rumour doing the rounds that apparently the reason why Ericsson's so disgruntled is that um, there's a, there's been an issue of infidelity um, and apparently Chad Matongan slept with his missus. <laughs> I mean, this That's reminds me of the rumours when uh, Wilfred Zaha slept with David Moyes' <laughs> daughter or something. Yeah, All these rumours. <laughs> just to go back to the game quickly mm. I mean Loris, I don't understand why he's rated so highly I don't think he's top five goalkeepers in the league I have really? Alisson ahead of him I have Edison ahead of him mm-hmm. I have De Gea ahead of him Fabianski I have Fabianski ahead of him really and I have Leno ahead of him Guaita I don't mm. think he's top five in London <laughs> <laughs> 
but, but I, 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 mean, I used to love him. I used to think yeah. he was the best keeper in the league. I mean, of course, he he he, he had that clangor. But then after that, pulled Ooh. off two fantastic saves yeah. Yeah, for James Ward Prowse's free kick mm-hmm. and then the the the, uh, the header from Yoshida yeah. uh, from the corner. That you know, am I being cynical? But he should make those saves. Mm. I think they were very all they were the... very good saves that you still should make. But <laughs> so, mm. yeah. a, if you're that level of goalkeeper, you should make them. But people should still say that's a good save. Mm. Yeah, I think Lloris, I think he's been on a steady decline, but if we're going to analyse Tottenham, it's a crucial three points. Mm-hmm. You know, another win in their home stadium and what a finish again by Harry Kane. Mm. I mean, I want to ask you, James, do you think he's the best striker in the Premier League? Because there's no. this debate, Aguero, <laughs> Harry Kane. No, what do you no, think? Let's, well, let's, I mean, let's add Aubameyang to that yeah, Aubameyang, list. Okay, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think Aubameyang is, is the best. You think so? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that your Arsenal head or actually what you think? I, I think that, that's actually what I think. I think for me it comes down to him and Aguero because both of them seem to offer a little bit more in terms of build-up. I think over the last few... And actually, you know, I'd throw Firmino into the mix as well. It's a very different sort of striker. Mm. But I think over the last year 18 months Harry Kane is still a phenomenal finisher and I think there's that thing of if I needed someone to take one shot for me I'd probably still give the ball to Kane but Mm. I do think that what was really good about him a year ago 18 months ago was how he was able to dovetail with Ali with Son and I kind of think whether it's because of injuries the fact that he's keeps coming back from these Mm. ankle injuries really early he just doesn't seem to be quite as sharp and snappy and mm. com- combined quite as well he just seems to be morphing into a bit of a brilliant penalty box poacher and, in box mm. and no, that'll be fine mm. that'll be fine he'll still be a really 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 good striker as that but <laughs> because we've had several debates on this podcast and I think Dez said that um, Aubameyang is a tier one finisher but not a tier one striker that's the point I'm trying to make yeah. outside of the box I think Harry Kane is better than Aubameyang Aubameyang outside of the box looks like a fish out of water sometimes. When Emre farms him out on that left, I mean, when yeah. he's trying to beat a player, it does look agricultural. Yeah, yeah. Let's be I think, I think, to be fair, I think there's a, there's a degree of truth in that. I think often the problem is that with the way Emery's playing is that it's so slow that Aubameyang's not getting the ball at pace and then it's like, well, what's the point of putting you out wide? And you kind of, in pre-season, Arsenal were really good at giving Aubameyang the ball so he could run behind defenders or at defenders a real pace and it, it worked really well um, but I also just think at the moment he's a better finisher it's it's a tough one to call in terms of because then we just always just forget about Aguero he's just yeah, been I think doing Aguero. it for years I think it's a really it's a really tough one to call and I think it could you know for me it changes on a sort of week by week basis I just think at the moment Aubameyang is scoring so many goals that are so good it's like I'm giving it I'm giving it to him for now but could change at any time yeah, I just don't think Kane is quite what he was. And I feel like kind of then you say that and Tottenham fans get quite defensive because he's he's still brilliant. Mm. But, you know, there's levels of there's levels of brilliance. This. He, mm. There was a time when he was like top five in the world. He's now top 20. So still a pretty think, good striker. Do you think Harry Kane may have peaked then? It's possible. Like, I mean, you look when Owen peaked. He peaked at 20. How, how old's Kane now? 24, 25? Yeah. Mm. If he has, I, I think that his peak was phenomenal, and he's played so many games that there's no reason to say that. I don't. I don't see how Kane gets better. So, may, so by that logic, he probably has peaked because he he's had a lot of wear and tear on his body at quite a young age. Mm. 
I mean, maybe maybe the way he improves is is to to actually move deeper and. His starting position is kind of alongside another forward. I know that England always have, have thought, like, can we use him as a 10 with another centre forward in front? I mean, maybe not under Southgate, but yeah, I think we probably have seen the very, very best of Harry Kane, but I also kind of think it might be a bit like how Alan Shearer was just this monster, explosive machine who was scoring goals for fun and doing more. Then the injuries hit him and he just became a consistent high quality goal scorer and I think that we might have the same with Kane wouldn't shock me if he breaks Shearer's Premier League record without like without being at his best again like he's because he, he, he will just keep scoring as long as Spurs are decent he'll keep scoring but don't you think that's also, a bit of a boring response there. <laughs> don't you think also that um, Kane is starting to mirror the Tottenham project it's bo- yeah 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 in the terms of he's, it's all getting a bit less Tired exciting and dated, yeah, yeah stale yeah. yeah potentially there's an argument that if you brought in a new manager we'd see a different a different Kane because it, you know it would all be set up in a different way but it does it all seems the Tottenham project and I'm conscious that I'm saying this from an Arsenal perspective but it just feels like it's all got a bit heavy like everyone's a bit knackered a bit tired of each other, uh, and there's not quite the same fun to it. it. It feels like that getting to the Champions League final felt like an end point. Um, I hope it's not for them because even as an Arsenal fan, I think it'd be a real shame if this amazing Tottenham team went down in history as like one of the greatest teams to not win a trophy. I don't <laughs> yeah. think they deserve that. I think they deserve some sort of silverware. Um, but yeah, I think I think maybe that there needs to be some sort of injection of of fresh something. Maybe mm. that's mm. a few more new players. Maybe that's a different manager. Maybe that's someone between Pochettino and Levy. I don't think Pochettino would like that one bit, but maybe you know someone, a technical director, to freshen mm. things up. It just feels a bit stale for saying they've just moved into a new stadium. <laughs> Fair point. Now, obviously, also, um, Chelsea hosted Brighton at Stamford Bridge, um, and the result was a 2-0 win for them. Congrats. Um, First home win. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, of course, I'm going to let you guys um, give your and share your thoughts and opinions on the game. But what I wanted to start off with um, was a, a particular talking point from this game, but also in general. And that is the whole insistence that teams have of playing the ball out from the back. Now, obviously, the rule um, uh, is that, you know, players are allowed to be in the box from the from the goal kick. And with that rule, it just seems as though everyone insists on playing the ball out from the back. And the, the f- first goal from Chelsea came from Webster, uh, uh, centre-back at uh, Brighton, trying to play the ball out from the back, overplaying it and getting caught in possession. Good pressing from, from, from Mason Mount, of course. Um, but, but, you know, why, why is this, why, what, what is the obsession with playing the ball out from the back every single time from a goal kick? It does my head in, to be honest. Because a rule gets changed doesn't mean you should do it. Mm -hmm. And these players or these teams at the bottom, I mean, Gary Potter, Graham Potter, he's just gone into Brighton. He's trying to change the system of the club. Mm -hmm. And while you're implementing a new system, there is going to be teething problems. But Mm -hmm. I just think, Sometimes, if you haven't got the playing playing staff to do it, just launch it long, mm. mix it up, and I mean that mistake was unforgivable. Mm. To be that lost them the game mm-hmm. because they were having chances as well. Mm. They were decent in the game. They had a few, you know, heading opportunities. But I just think because there's been a new rule implemented, that doesn't mean that you have to do it. Yeah, I think uh, players need to take some sort of accountability in situations like this, and mm-hmm. I mean. 
I know Graham Potter has told his players to play out from the back. And for me, I think the people that are saying that, why is their obsession with playing from the back? I feel that that's a bit of a dinosaur point of view. Mm. We should encourage good football. And the benefit of, of passing the ball from the back is that you can get a three on three in, in mm. attacking transition. So you can eliminate the press and you're literally running at their defence. So mm. I feel that teams need to be encouraged to play out from the back. Mm. Um, you're going to make mistakes and that's part and parcel of football. And I feel that with Brighton, they're trying to implement a new playing style. Mm. So they are going to make mistakes. I, mistakes I, I agree with that. But deep. I think to, to a certain extent, though, it is more of the issue of varying the game a bit. So mm. there might be occasions where you play it short. It might be occasions where you play it long. But I, and I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking from an Arsenal fan perspective and I've seen us um, you know, and, and that's the uh, it's not it's be not, punished for it's this. Not, it's not the, it's not the, um, it's not the manager. It's some of the players are just incompetent. They're, yeah. they're not capable and players don't use their sense. Cause you, you literally are seeing opposition players forwards pressing you high and literally camping outside of the, the, the box. Yeah. Mm. When you see that, Common sense would tell you play the ball long, but still people are insisting on playing it out. Yeah, for players are robots. I I I think one of the really weird things, and I, I know you're obviously referring to that Watford game, and I sat down <laughs> after that game and watched every single goal kick that Arsenal took. And one of the really weird things is playing out from the back. The logic to me is you get the ball quickly, you put it down, and you know as as you were saying. You can then, if you get quick possession, you can break through a disorganised team and get your three-on-three, or maybe even better, Mm. in the attacking sphere. But what happens is you see goalkeepers put the ball down, wait for their two centre-backs to take position. And what they're then doing is they're actually allowing the opposition team to put three, four players around the box. Mm Congratulations! You've you've just you've you've turned this into a headache for yourself. Yeah, like yeah. you know, it's more of a rugby concept. But like, get some quick ball there. Let, mm. You know, if you're mm. going to play it short, get the ball into play quickly, mm. and so you can build these attacks. It's it's stupid to just invite your. Otherwise, you're just inviting a press, and and you know, let's be honest, there aren't that many centre backs in the Premier League that can continually play through mm. a, a, a press like you know, like a Laporte can. Mm-hmm. Do it if you're going to do it. Do it quick. Get the ball out. Get some movement. You know, for Arsenal, I was amazed that all those kicks they never once just clipped the ball onto Kolasinac's head. I mean, that's <laughs> the most obvious thing. Yeah. He'll, probably, just... he'll probably duck out the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. For Arsenal me, play. to be honest, Brighton. I know we've said on this platform are oh, they're playing good football. Graham Potter has been a breath of fresh air. But they're one point above the relegation zone. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this Dead, could have where, serious where, consequences. Where should Brighton be? Of course. And I think they're getting relegated. So, we're praising him. He might do a job that Chris Hutton didn't. And that's get Brighton down with this style of football. <laughs> so, so, let's be honest. Like, you, have to, you, need, you need the hospital. You need the hospital. Yeah, no, but it's true. It's true. You're playing all this fancy stuff, pleasing on the eye. You mm-hmm. haven't got the tools. Mm. let's implement it strategically and bit by bit. But when you're doing this full measure stuff, changing everything from source, you're going to come across problems. And I see Brighton going down. I don't think mm. they've got the quality. I think now they're much more open. They're going to be conceding goals. And I don't think they've got really a strike force that can catapult them up the league. More pays decent. He's done at a championship level, but the Premier League is a different kettle of fish. Just before we move on, I just want to say it's good to see Callum hudson Adair playing again. He got assist. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him and how he develops yeah, throughout course, the season. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Um, now moving on to Wolves, we obviously have been speaking about their Premier League form in recent weeks and, and how, um, you know, they've, 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 uh, you know, s- suffered in the league given, um, their exploits in Europe. Um, they managed, however, to get a, a 2-0 win against Watford, which, which, uh, you know, three very welcome points for them. Um, did you guys see, see the, see the game? Did you yeah, have any, yeah. yeah. Have I managed and, to and catch some of it. Yeah. I managed to catch some of it. And, you know, before the game, people were dubbing it, you know, El Relegatio. <laughs> <laughs> due to the fact that both teams hadn't won a Premier League game mm-hmm. so far. But I watched the game and Matt Doherty, he really, really impressed me yeah. with his attacking play. Really, really You know, there was one of the goals. I think Johnny Otto, you know, whipped it into him and he scored. Mm. Then the second goal, he assisted as well. So, We've been talking about Wolves having this, you know, period, you know, that they've been poor because of the Europa League. And now for them to get the first win, let's see what they can do. But for Watford, who? I don't think they may get relegated. I don't think so. But the longer you don't win games, (laughs) that threat looms over you. And they're missing the big man, Troy Deeney. He's a big reference for this side. I've said it time and time again. And Kike Sanchez Flores, let's be honest, he hasn't really got a tune out of the players. Other than the Arsenal game when he got a point, but I haven't really seen, <laughs> I haven't really seen no improvement in their play. Is Melasar, he's not been fully integrated and I wonder why, because he was getting rave reviews in Europe about him being a top, top player and, you know, the manager just doesn't seem to fancy him. By the way, Bayern Munich are beating Spurs 2-1 half time. Um, right. that's a real shame for Tottenham fans. <laughs> <laughs> in their brand spanking new stadium. Fair point. Now, of course, there were a few other fixtures um, and results that we would have liked to um, to go uh, in, in in depth and speak about. However, in the interest of time, I think we're gonna we're gonna leave that there, just so we have enough time for us to go through the uh, listeners' questions. Sorry, is that Sam okay? And sorry, Crystal Palace. We apologize Two teams that we have you know a lot of listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course, we apologize, guys. Um, but yeah, like we said, we want to um, have enough time to delve into uh, the listeners' questions. Um, I'm going to kick off with one uh, from Deji CNO. Now, his question to you, James, is where would Wenger finish with the players that Emery has at his disposal? And it's a bit of a two-part question. Was the issue whilst Wenger was in charge, the fact that he wasn't good enough, uh, and this is towards the end of his tenure, or the fact that he didn't have good enough players? Oh, um, I think Arsenal... I don't... I really don't want to have to say this, but I think that Arsene Wenger would probably not quite be achieving what Emery is. <laughs> and That's I, an interesting take. I, yeah, hate, yeah. I hate to say that, but I just, I, I think towards the end, <laughs> I was really hurt. <laughs> I can see the scar tissue. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's like it's like slagging off your dad. <laughs> <laughs> I just think towards the end it it, it all got a bit stale. Yeah. Um and he you know, almost maybe it's the same thing that's happening to Pochettino now where it was the same lesson the same message over and over again to kind of the same group of players. Um it didn't really work, that no one was hearing it. He was kind of running low on ideas and I think if he if he'd stayed on, I don't think it would have got better, even with this group of players. Um, mm. well, in terms of, and I guess that was the reason it didn't it didn't really work out. Was 
he was a bit guilty towards the end of not really reinvigorating things. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing that Fergie always did so well was new team, new backroom staff. Mm. And, I mean, the team was changing a fair bit, um, but I also want to say, this is going off on a bit of a tangent, and I'll try and keep this brief, but the real issue with that Arsenal team, as much as, as Wenger was probably getting stale, was the atrocious management of Ivan Gazidis at the top. Mm-hmm. It basically allowed the situation to drift post-Emirates because Wenger kept delivering Champions League football. Yeah. And you then ended up with a club that was... Every season there was a, a contractual crisis. Van Persie, Sanchez, uh, Ozil, the manager himself, Aaron Ramsey, towards the end as well. Like that, that's not entirely on Wenger's head mm-hmm. because it, in the end, Gazidis was Wenger's boss, like, yeah. like yeah. it or not. Yeah. yeah. So someone there, he has to, he should have taken responsibility far earlier than he did. Another question we've got from Rob Mush: Why is there a bigger gap forming between Liverpool and City compared to the rest of the league? When this is the richest the smaller clubs have ever been, because those the, those two teams are phenomenally well run and amongst the best teams in Premier League history. I think it's like kind of it's just as simple as that. Really, I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, mm. I think people forget that this um, Pep project was put in place way before he actually arrived yeah. at the club. So this has been a process that's been going on for how many years? Probably six or seven years now, mm. and you can see the destination that they've arrived at. Yeah. Again, like with managers, I think it all starts from the top. Great board, top manager, oh. top playing facilities, and the other teams haven't got the haven't got the privy to have those, you know, resources available to them. So that's what I think is. Yeah, and it's such a long term vision. I think kind of Liverpool were building a club that was perfect for Klopp. You know, it, mm. there's that momentum, you know, momentum, there's a, not in a bad way, there's an emotional nature to Liverpool yeah. and they've then found, they found staff at every level to tap into that. Um, and at City, it's, it's data, it's, it's being the, the cut at the cutting edge. And again, they found staff to tap into that. That's really how you, you get so far ahead because, you know, then a club like West Ham, a club like Arsenal, Man United, they're always playing catch up. They're, they're they haven't really defined who they are. City and Liverpool have done that perfectly, and so they're, mm. you know, they're miles ahead. They can be caught though. It's not impossible. To of catch course, that. of course. This is in, you've kind of answered this question, but maybe if you just want to go over um, it with, you know, maybe sixty second. Um, what has Emre improved since joining? This is from MK. Uh, the players are a bit fitter. Um, there's slightly more intelligence in terms of taking on big games and. He has really committed to giving youngsters a chance. And Matteo Guendouzi, he's found one of the best young players in Europe. Uh, that's about it, really, though. Fair point. Um, we've got another question from Lobrucci. Um, his question is, what are your thoughts on um, the club not having a genuinely good, decent, wide um, option on the left? And, and who do you feel of the young crop of uh, players is most likely to fill that void and and and, and do well yeah i was position. gonna say bakaya saka he's fun, the kid's phenomenal mm. and it, this isn't like you know I've, i'm lucky enough that i see a bit of the youth team football as well like this isn't news to anyone at arsenal like they've known for years saka is something special he's so he's so mature he's so switched on i, I spoke to him after the frankfurt game and Man, the kid is so clever. Yeah. He's, uh, so he's, uh, I, I remember talking to people at Arsenal. It's quite a weird conversation. I was like, could you tell me about Bakayo's GCSE grades? 
and I was like, I heard he's got a few A's, and they were like, no, he's basically a straight A star student. Wow. I I find it I find him incredibly intimidating. I'm a bit worried that Arsenal are creating some army of super intelligent, super athletic <laughs> leaders of the future. But look, also if he doesn't come off, there's been a bit of a sort of downer on Reese Nelson among the fan base since he's come back. But he's a really good player that I'd persevere with, mm. and Smith Rowe as well, who has had a rough 2019 with injuries, but such a smart, creative, very Arsenal player, like great mm. on the ball. Mm carries it really well there's loads of options so do you reckon yeah, Saka I, can start I, I a think, few, quite a few games this season yeah I, I think so I he's think, ready now I think obviously you know he, when Lacazette is back Saka will, will, will have to settle for, for being on the bench I think but I think long term I think he's going to be a starter at Arsenal for as long as he wants to be it'll be wow. in the corner I like, like Smith as well I think he's been dogged with injuries but he mm. looks a good talent what about Eddie Nketiah? I know he's on loan at Leeds. Do you see him having a long-term future Arsenal? I know we've seen people like Benekafobi, you know, go out on loan and mm. not make the grade. But do you see Nketiah making the grade? Yeah, I, I do. I, I do. I'm, I'm not sure he'll ever be Arsenal's starting centre forwards because, it, you know, that that's Aubameyang. And then when Aubameyang gets older, they'll still be Lacazette. And I'm sure they'll buy someone. But I think he'll always have a role in the, the squad because... He's so good off the bench as well. Mm. Like you're seeing that with Leeds this season. And Arsenal really have been so careful in terms of picking the right place to, to take him. They, they Basically, on the final day or the final couple of days of the transfer window, they, they got people from Leeds, Bristol City and Augsburg, I think, possibly another German team, in to audition them to loan them Eddie and wow. So that, you know, it was when are you going to play him? Where are you going to play him? How is he going to fit into your system? That's really interesting. The sort of thing that like no one else in Europe is doing. That they're being so careful in terms of how they loan players out, who they loan them to. Like, mm. and someone like Joe Willock, they took him off the market in January because they, they'd rather not send anyone out. They'd rather just keep them kind of on the bench mm. and on the fringes than, than send them in a bar, on a bad loan. You'll remember Serge Gnabry and how they basically lost one of the best wingers mm. in in the world because they sent him to Tony Pulis. Yeah. I think they've learned from that, <laughs> and um, I think they're really, really convinced that long-term Nketiah will be an Arsenal player. But, mm. you know, I think he'll probably generally be a sub-player for, for the foreseeable future. Um, another question from Piki Chulo is, does the board have any sort of succession plan for when Emre leaves or is given the boot? Are they grooming Lundberg to take over? Ooh. Uh, so I don't know if they're grooming Freddie. What I do know for a fact is that Freddie Jungberg, and this isn't like an amazing revelation, but Freddie Jungberg wants to manage Arsenal and that is his ambition. And he's been really like thorough in his ambition. He, uh, kind of went to Steve Bold at some stage last season and said, in a, in a slightly nicer way than I'm putting it, he went to Steve Bold and said, I want your job. And they kind mm -hmm. of, Steve Bold also wanted to move down, but Freddie is really ambitious and, um, you know, Arsenal staff have kind of had conversations with him that are like, this is what you need to learn if you want to be a manager. I think in terms of Jungberg becoming the manager, I think the most realistic way that would happen is something happens and Emery leaves mid-season. He kind of gets the job on an interim basis okay, and, yeah. and performs quite well. I think, you know, if Arsenal have time, they'll probably look for a really top-level European coach, but they're definitely looking at Jungberg as they're definitely aware that Jungberg wants that job 
and they're definitely going to help him on the path to becoming a manager. So, like, if I were a betting man, I don't think Jungberg will succeed Emery, but I think he will be Arsenal manager. I think he'll be really good at it. He's so smart as well. He's and he's a really charming, nice guy, <laughs> which is just it's underrated how important it is as managers for people to like you. Yeah, and everyone likes Freddie. Um, this question is from Show Shallow, and he said, "Can you see that Emre has not improved our squad or style of play?" Oh, uh, I can see why people think that. I think it's just about got better um, because the Arsenal are, are better against the top teams, and I, mm. I think supporters really forget how dispiriting and predictable it got when they just would. When not just when teams when they would go to to Old Trafford or they go to uh, the Etihad, but when teams would come to the Emirates and you just knew that Arsenal were going to get swept swept aside. Yeah, but that that happened last season, Crystal Palace. Yeah, I, I mean that's the problem. <laughs> the big problem with him is that he can't be the. He's too respectful of sort of average teams. Mm. But I think he his performances against big teams suggest there's clearly a smart tactical mind there, if nothing else. And um, last one. Yep. Yeah. This one's from Amit Karajagi. He says, first, push him off the parapet and tell him <laughs> that that was one of the worst games. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed it. It was like, it was rubbish football, but like, I don't always need to watch Good Champions football. League finals. Mm. Sometimes it's quite fun to see two bad football teams play football and then he said on a more serious note what is the logic if there is one of dropping Ozil especially when you're lacking in one certain quality that Ozil immensely possesses oh it's a lot to unpack with with Messer uh, but I will keep this super brief Um, basically Unai's view Unai Emery's view is that he doesn't really there's no need for him in the squad uh, particularly in away games so Bios kind of does the creative stuff that Ozil does, maybe from a bit deeper, but you could you could play him higher up the pitch. With Willock, you've got more drive and intensity, uh, and then Ozil can't really play wide. You can only play him as a number 10. Mm. Um, and look, like the performances haven't been there to make Emery think, I have to fit him in the team. I mean, obviously he's not played much this season, but last season he was pretty indifferent. I mean, mm. I, the only game I remember him being phenomenal in was that Leicester game where they won. Um I mean, in the end, I actually think Arsenal are going about this the right way, where they're kind of saying, well, we can't change his salary. We'll try every window, we'll try and get him off the books, and they'll try again in January to get rid of him. But there's no point just playing him just because you pay him loads of money. Mm. You're better off playing Nelson, Willock, players that you know uh, their trajectory is up. Yeah. Ozil's not going to become a better player Mm. in the next two years. He's going to get worse now. You're probably going to clip that out, and I'm going to get absolutely <laughs> roasted, <laughs> roasted by the Özil fanboy. <laughs> but like, he's just not—he's just not as good a player as he used to be. He's not getting better. Mm. I kind of agree with Emery, and you just kind of have just got to see this out. Get mm. to the summer of 2021, and if he wants to stay for not very much money, let him hang around. But if not, <laughs> wave goodbye to Mesut Özil and. Maybe Arsenal might just be a bit of a peaceful, quiet, yeah. uh, stress-free place without him around. It's a shame that I'm saying that, cause I, and I will shut up. He's a great talent, but yeah. I just think in the end it's all become a bit too dramatic. Yeah, of course. Where yeah. Ozil's concerned, and I think the, ideally the two parties mm. should probably 
separate. A soap opera, as Dot would like to say. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> final one. This is from at Budge Laguna. Why? Why? What? What does Emery see in Xhaka for him to persist? with playing him at the base of the midfield when we have a very competent ball winner in Torreira on uh, the bench. Leadership uh, and distribution would be the two things I'd say. I mean, I agree with you. that I agree with what I guess you're saying. that mm-hmm. I wouldn't have him anywhere near the starting eleven. I yeah. don't think he's one of the five best midfielders at Arsenal. I agree. I, I agree with the idea of having Torreira high up the pitch to try and win the ball high up, but then you need someone mobile in behind for if teams get past Torreira. Exactly. So the balance the, the plan is there, but the balance isn't quite there. I don't I don't really know what the footballing things he sees in Jacker are. And I put this to people at Arsenal and they go, they generally say to me like, no, you there's something you're not seeing in Jacker. And then I say what is it? And they just go, they basically go, there's something you're not seeing in Jack. <laughs> yeah, I don't think how you're did, seeing it either. How did you describe Shaka last time about CCTV? Yeah, I mean, like, Shaka, I was saying that it's as if it's like CCTV cameras being at your front door and you leave your front door open. <laughs> he, offers, <laughs> he offers no protection whatsoever. Yeah. And for me, his abilities as a footballer are limited. People call him a leader. I don't see leadership in him. Mm. I mean, he costs his team games. Exactly. Leaders mm. add. And, you know, he seems to me like a fake leader. He mm. wants to be bravado, Mr. Hardman. <laughs> I mean, we saw mm. yesterday him ducking a ball that he could have... No, that he could have headed away. Mm. I mean, Martin Keown, 13, 14 years ago. Can you imagine him doing that? I don't think so. Yeah. Harsh. Harsh. I, I don't think, think so. harsh. I don't no, think I don't it was think. bad. Or a player like John Terry, he's yeah. throwing his body in the in the oh, way of course. that. That's, that's what I'm saying. Is that, Those is are that, the leaders. Is that great defending. I'm not too sure. Come well, on, guys. Great defending is making sure the ball doesn't yes. go in the back of your net. Yes. These so are millis. Whatever, whatever. I'm not. I'm not sure that we can put blame on Shaka. But to be fair, what I would say is that the modern player has changed. Those players back in the day, they'll do anything to win a football match. Nowadays, we know players are much more pampered. So yeah, don't want to mess up the gel in your hair and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course, so you got to go out. He actually tried to head the ball away, but yeah, <laughs> missed it. I think the camera's told otherwise. Cameras Fair. can easily lie <laughs> when it's sport. Mm, not really. Yeah, I couldn't quite, I still couldn't quite <laughs> work it out. Like my, my job over the next few days is I'm going to try and find Jacko and ask him if he was trying to. I would say <laughs> if someone smashed a, a football at me at 80 miles an hour, I'd probably get my head out of the way. But... Um, it's not people. I think it just... The, my issue with Jacko was like throughout that game... United kept being able to take those shots from the edge of the box, and I was like, "That's where you should be. Yeah. You should be there." And like, Pog, you know, Pogba or McTominay should be going, "I can't hit this shot." Like in that specific instance, he was running back to cover for Socrates, but like so many times where you just kind of see this great big space in front of Arsenal's defence, and you're like, "That's where Xhaka should be, isn't it?" <laughs> What's your relationship like with Xhaka? Uh, I mean, I, I haven't spoken to him very often. The last time I spoke to him after the Europa League final, uh, entirely my fault. I asked a very clumsy question where I basically, I meant to sort of say, how do you feel uh, for players like Welbeck and Ramsey on their final game that it ended so badly? What I said was, <laughs> do you feel like you've let them down? <laughs> Which kind of quite understandably, uh, I don't think he liked hearing. So we haven't, we haven't seen each other since then. So I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure Granite doesn't hold grudges. I really hope he doesn't. Uh, but 
I mean, I think he's a really, he's really good with us in terms of being someone that will like talk to to the mm. media. But um, I haven't I haven't said many nice things about him of late. <laughs> <laughs> I'm worried about fan. what happens next time I see him at the moment. Yeah. Okay. So cool. Before we go into the final segment, which is obviously prospect of the week, um, just really really quickly. Um, two more topics that we have to just brush on very, very quickly. The first of them being the fact that the uh, um, 72 member clubs of the EFL have decided not to allow Bar- uh, Barry to be admitted into League Two next season. So looking at things from a, a, a moral standpoint, of course, um, you know, we everybody knows about the tumultuous time that Barry have had in recent weeks. Um, and you know, they, they, they've, they've been under it. Um, so from a moral standpoint, wouldn't, wouldn't you expect sort of, you know, a bit more of a, a brotherhood kind of approach from these clubs to say, you know what? We understand you've, you've been through it. You know, we're gonna, we're gonna back you to, to, to be put back in, in, in the league. What, what do you guys think? Or, or was it the, the right decision if we're looking at it from, I mean, the football, financial and football is a business and business mm. is cutthroat. I kind of Fair agree point. with that because if, uh, let's say Tesco and say, like, let's say Sainsbury's was going out of business, are Tesco going to give Sainsbury's a helping hand to, mm, to save them? Point. Yeah. I, I, the only thing I'd add to that is it would kind of be a bit bullshit if you were the, the, the team that was going to get promoted from the conference and it was like, oh, yeah, um, sorry, you can't, uh, you can't go up now because we've got to let Berry back in. I think that'd be pretty harsh on mm. whichever team would have come up from the conference anyway. So. Sorry, but you have to start all over again. I know it's awful, but it's not not fair on the, the other teams around you either. Fair point. Cool. And the other one was that um, Barcelona were fined £266 <laughs> for the tapping up of Griezmann from Atletico. Um, what's my view? Yeah, what's your view on that? No comment. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's about the price of, you know, like steak and chips and ice cream. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> You know, chuck I mean, a decent a, cocktail in there as well. You know? I mean, that's a poultry amount, but I don't know. I don't know the in particulars, but I think you know, two hundred and sixty pound for like a multi or billion pound club is, is mad. It's obscene. Yeah. How did it arrive at the figures? Is what I want to understand. It's a, it's a it's very a specific amount, think, and they like La, La Liga specifically said they were like, this is basically the 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 least punishment we can do, considering they have tapped him up. I don't know why that's what they thought was appropriate, but like it's basically now open season for any other club that wants to tap up a player. What what is the definition of, of tapping up? What 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 does that actually mean? Because it feels like there's a bit of a a blurred line with this. Um, with it, you know, what is uh, uh, legal and what isn't? What is allowed and what isn't? What what what? what so strictly speaking, a club shouldn't speak to a player until they have a bid accepted. Mm-hmm. And quite often, they don't speak directly to the player, but kind of you know that so much of it now goes through agents and mm. and so many much of things like personal terms it's all effectively agreed before a transfer fee is agreed tapping up doesn't really mean anything anymore mm. and, and no one's trying to stop it it's just part of the game now fair point okay um so i'm looking at the time now we are deep 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 into fergie time so instead of each of you guys giving uh, a detailed analysis of why your prospect is your prospect. I just want you to, I just want you to go around the room and say a name. Who is your prospect of the week? Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with this uh, segment of the, of the pod, essentially we are asking who was the senior 
uh, uh, an accomplished pro that was playing as though it was their debut. So who 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 was making rash challenges, two footed challenges, uh, baggy touches, over hip crosses and passes? Who was the manager that 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 you know got his tactics wrong? Yeah, who that that is essentially it. That is what the prospects of the week is all about. In the interest of time, like I said, because we don't have much time to go in 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 depth, really, really quickly, ten seconds each. Who is your prospect of the week this week? Um, Jordan Pickford. He's got to be either a goalkeeper or a defender, surely this week, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> uh, no, I'm going John Barnes. I think he's ah, done okay. a two-footed challenge against the tackle against racism <laughs> and he has to get pulled up. Fair point. How about you, James? Oh, I hate to say it, but uh, Nico Pepe. <laughs> oh, that's Ooh. a painful one. Oh. Yeah. Fair point. Well, I just think we've had a knock on hey, the door hey, from real one. Look at Pepe's receipt. Look at Pepe's receipt. Maybe James has Pepe's receipt. Has it been 30 days? <laughs> goalkeepers or defenders for this weekend but, <laughs> let's mention Tottenham as well because they're losing 4-1 to Bayern Munich oh wow, wow. ex-Arsenal oh, man wow. Serge Aurier got an assist so that's interesting <laughs> so can that be Serge Gaspier I the man eh? <laughs> you hate to see it you hate to see it you hate to hear it of course um, yeah man I want to catch up on, on those goals now so we're going to wrap it up and we're going to leave it leave it here uh, just want to say thank you so much James for coming down My blessing us with your presence man it's thank been an you, absolute thank fantastic you. Thank you, episode My uh, we really appreciate it uh, thank you to listeners for listening in up until this point in time as always please continue to help us to spread the word of the podcast share the episode with your friends family members work colleagues so on and so forth continue to help us grow the platform across twitter if you're not following us as yet please make sure you do uh, at podcast underscore tbg um we are also across soundcloud spotify apple Podcasts, instagram at pod underscore tbg help us to continue to grow and i think that's pretty much it again as always i'm looking over at dot making sure i've covered everything Yes, nod of approval. <laughs> we are done, over and out. Catch you on the next episode. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home Internet. Cox is the real home Internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash Internet for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. 
quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 